This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Tuesday, October 3rd, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Only, working from my hotel room uh, on this Tuesday morning in Philadelphia. Sarah Abbott is working at her place in Connecticut. And we have no Taylor Schwenk, who is at a doctor's appointment, allegedly, learning whether or not he's going to need surgery. And I will tell you, Sarah, that later on, I think we're going to be hearing a conspiracy theory from Hembo. This is all driven by his desire to watch the Orioles playoff game later this month. What do you think? (laughs) I mean, like the dedication, if that's true, the dedication to make this as believable as possible, to have crutches, to be in a cast, to make doctor's appointments, like that is dedication. Following through, allegedly, like doctor's appointments. And we haven't confirmed any of this, right? No. (laughs) And all kidding aside, yeah, supposedly he's going to find out today whether or not he's going to need surgery, which could greatly complicate your life, Sarah, and all the podcasts you work on together. You know what? If anything, to make sure he's okay. If that means I take an extra couple podcasts or two, that's just fine. All right. Well, and we're going to have a lot of good stuff to talk about in the podcast today and moving forward, because today is the first day of Major League Baseball's playoffs. Before we get to that, uh, some housekeeping with other organizations. The Angels fired manager Phil Nevin, and word came out from the Angels that they're going to keep general manager Perry Manassian. Manassian is expected to meet re- with reporters on Tuesday. Manager Bob Melvin's job appears to be safe, with the underwhelming San Diego Padres after owner Peter Seidler said in his statement Monday that the current leadership team, quote-unquote, continues to have my full support. We'll be talking about that with Carl Ravitch because just feel like one way or another, the relationship between Bob Melvin and A.J. Preller, the head of baseball operations, needs to be addressed. It's that ugly. Before the first playoff game between the Brewers and the Diamondbacks, the Brewers got really bad news about Brandon Woodruff, one of their veteran starting pitchers, who in theory gives them an advantage in the postseason. Looks like he's going to be out for a while. Here's Craig Council announcing the Woodruff injury. Brandon Woodruff um, will be out for this series. Um, he has a right shoulder capsular injury. Um, we're working on a second opinion and for Brandon to see over the next couple of days. Um, frankly, his availability for the postseason is up in the air at this point. Here's Brandon Woodruff talking about when the injury popped up. When you deal with deal with an injury and then it pops back up it just it popped up at the wrong time like but also maybe it's a blessing because i can you know have it taken care of so um it sorry it it sucked man here's corbin burns who starts game one of the playoffs for milwaukee against the diamondbacks later today i mean it's tough to have um one of your better arms go down obviously we don't know you know, the extent of what's going on um, and how long he's going to be out. But um, just means that it's another opportunity for another guy to step up and, and fill his shoes and, and do, do what they can to uh, to try to replicate what, what he would do out there on the mound. You know, we've, we've got plenty of depth in the starting rotation, so we've got guys that are will be able to uh, to step in and, and give us the best, you know, a good chance to win. So that's, that's what's going to happen. That's what's gonna, what we're going to do. I mentioned I'm in Philadelphia. We've got the Marlins. We've got the Phillies. Zach Wheeler will be on the mound for the Phillies, and he gave a scouting report on the Miami lineup. Yeah, they already had a good lineup, and then they added, uh, you know, Berger and Bell. So those two guys, I've seen them play a lot, and they're really good. Also, that was a couple of good ads for them. So 
you know, they got a good lineup, deep lineup. You know, they're, they're kind of scrappy, but they put together some innings and, uh, you know, they, they know how to play ball and they know how to hit. So um, I feel like they got a good approach, but you just have to keep them off the bases because they do have speed and they'll get after you a little bit. So you just have to pound the zone, get ahead early, and, uh, you know, try to keep them off the bases. So a really interesting game one starter for the Marlins, Jesus Lazardo, who grew up as a Marlins fan. He talked about what it means for him to start game one. I mean, it's just uh, indescribable uh, for me and my family. Uh, like you said, I grew up in South Florida. So uh, being a Marlins fan my whole life and then getting in this position is something I can't put into words. Um, and it really hasn't hit me yet. So hopefully uh, down the road it does. But um, so, so far, I'm just enjoying the ride uh, and trying to make it last as long as possible. The Marlins are in this spot because they've had a lot of success in one-run games. And Lazardo talked about that. The postseason has a lot of unknowns, and it, ha- it brings a little extra uh, intensity to it. But like you said, that our record with one-run games this year, I feel like, um, you know, we don't press really as much in one-run games as maybe in the past we had, um, just because we know what we got and we know how to handle them for the most part. So um, I think we just got to keep playing how we've been playing and uh, handling those, those close games as, as well as we have. Later today, we've got the Blue Jays playing in Minnesota, Kevin Gossman. He's been a Cy Young Award candidate in recent seasons. We'll start for the Blue Jays. He gave a scouting report in the Twins lineup. Obviously, anytime you're facing a postseason lineup, they're they're going to be a good lineup. Obviously, they're they're here for a reason. Um, you know, this lineup in particular can can beat you in a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, they got some good young guys that can really swing the bat, put the ball in play. Um, you know, I played with Donovan Solano. I know what he's capable of. Um, really good professional hitter. You know, um, really top to bottom, they they can they can give you a hard time. Uh, a lot of left-handed hitters. You know, if you look at the numbers, they've kind of always been been tough over me over the course of my career, and um, for whatever reason that is, I don't know why. Gossman thinks the Blue Jays haven't played their best baseball through the first 162. Listen, if you look at our roster, talent-wise, you can compare us against anybody in the league, um, but talent is only going to take you t- so far, and so. Yeah, I mean, we, we definitely haven't necessarily played our best brand of baseball throughout 162 games. Um, you know, I think everyone would agree in there that there was some series and, you know, some stretches where we just didn't play well, um, you know. But I think the underlying attitude with everybody was that we have what we're capable of to win. Um, just had to kind of figure out the kinks and, and put it all together. The Rangers will face the Rays, and Tyler Glass now will be on the mound for the Rays in Game 1, and he talked about the Tampa Bay culture and how it's allowed them to get to this point. Yeah, I think just the culture here is very, like, relaxed. I think we kind of worry about the things we have to worry about instead of, like, trying to put a bunch of external stuff in there. It's very much like, just go out and play baseball and take care of the things you have to take care of, you know? So I think when, do, when things do come up, it's kind of, we kind of reinforce that, like, don't worry about it if you don't have to like let's just try to go out have fun relax and just have a good time kind of and I think it's been super beneficial and we've kind of been prone to injuries the last few years and I think just the depth we have has been pretty awesome I think like next man up mentality um, and everyone just steps up and, and does well so I think it's a testament it's it's nice that the I guess we have so much much depth I guess yeah Jordan Montgomery takes the ball in game one for the Texas Rangers. He talked about how the team is turning the page after finishing that last Sunday, uh, losing the American League West and being a wild card team. 
yeah, it has been a little bit crazy, but um, I think me and the the rest of the team are kind of focused now that we know we're here and uh, everything that happened is in the past and still in the playoffs and kind of control our own destiny. I think as baseball players, we're kind of geared to do that. You play 162 games. It's a long season. If, if you get down after every loss, it's going to be a miserable long year. So I think most of the guys are pretty even keeled and kind of understand that that's in the past. Now on Monday, David Stearns, the new president of baseball operations for the Mets, spoke with reporters for the first time, and he made a declarative statement about Pete Alonso. Give a listen. Pete is a great player. He is also good in the clubhouse, and he is also homegrown. All of that matters. I, I, I know over the summer there was there was some trade speculation, and and look, I'll just say like I, I expect Pete to be the opening day first baseman next year. Pete's an important member of this team. He's an important member of this organization, and, and I think we're really fortunate to have him. All right, Sarah, what else you got? All right, Buster. Everyone, be sure to tune into the College Game Day podcast. We had a great episode last night, a Marty and McGee takeover, which was super fun. So be sure to check that out on YouTube and wherever you are listening to this podcast. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease. Plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. All aboard! It's the Rabbit Train with Carl Rabbit on Baseball Tonight. Carl Rabbit's play-by-play man on ESPN, and tonight that means uh, doing the play-by-play, Carl, for our broadcast of the Marlins in Philly series. How you doing? Oof, I am. Uh, I'm fired up, Buster. Philadelphia is the I think you want to be. I think the atmosphere is going to be unbelievable. I was watching local Philadelphia news this morning. Uh, whether they went to schools, local restaurants already open serving alcohol, ice cream stores that had uh, come up with Philly sort of you know themed ice creams. This this city is desperate to get back to and this time win the World Series, and it's all encompassing. You know, there's. 
This is the regional sport, but my goodness, is this region engaged? And as you know, the relationship between the players, you know, Bryce Harper and Philadelphia are now like they are literally tighter than uh, sardines. What they did for Trey Turner in the beginning of August, there is a connectivity between the and this city. And I think it does start with Harper and the way he talks about Broad Street and trophies, and that's what it's all about. That's uh, that's sincere. I was there yesterday for practice uh, for the both teams on the field. The culture in Miami now is to win. You know, when Skip Schumacher was hired, his edict coming in and his message to Kim Ng, I want to win every game. The Phillies came into this season not only wanting to win every game, but to win the World Series. They're the same, and yet they're different. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Excited. I love, uh, you know, I was out walking this morning and to see, uh, you know, the excitement level and you see uh, Philly's banners up in windows of businesses and people talk about the series uh, when I was getting my coffee this morning. I will say, you know, I did radio at 830 this morning and I'm in the middle of my radio hit. And all of a sudden I hear those dings on your phone that you get when messages are dropping and one yeah. after another, like a series. And I'm like, Oh my God, what is going on? And I'm thinking that there's some big baseball news, maybe Aaron yeah. fired. Right. You're yeah. like, oh, yeah. what what is happening? And yeah. then I, you know, hang up and go right to my messages. And it's yeah. a series of pictures of it that yeah. sent our yeah. colleague of a fly on his plate of fruit this morning. Yeah. What is that? That's a fruit fly. I mean, that's that's my take on it. I don't know what the panic was. Flies like fruit too. I'm not sure what I mean, it almost looked like it had been picked over. Since days ago, I wasn't even sure. So did Eddie have to pick through all the fruit to find a fly at the bottom? And then on the texture, he claims that it was in his mouth. How do we know where the fly originated? That's I mean, I got all sorts of questions about that. I know. Well, and I, I realized how on edge I was when I hung up, uh, you know, and realized my reaction to that last night. I would say that maybe that should be the reaction of the Phillies because I think they go into these two days under enormous pressure, Carl. Mm. And maybe they don't feel it now, but if they fall behind in game one, all of a sudden this potential reality will be out there. Because last year it was the Phillies who sort of, you know, snuck up on everybody in baseball. And this year, they're that they're not going to sneak up on anybody. You know, I picked them to win the world. You know, as the playoffs began, you picked them at the beginning of the year to win the World Series. Although you changed your pick uh, to the Atlanta Braves recently, uh, no one's going to be surprised if the Phillies go deep. Which is why I think as Jesus Cesardo takes the mound for the uh, Marlins tonight, a ton of pressure on the Phillies. Yeah, ba- baseball is you know unique in the fact that it's not necessarily the team that has the most talent. It's definitely the team that's playing the best, and especially in a three-game series, it was worse when it was one game. I mean, that would scare the hell out of you if you were the team that was quote-unquote supposed to win. In three games, you would think that the more talented team would eventually win out. The, the left-handers from Miami neutralizes several of the advantages Philadelphia has, but I'm telling you, Buster, just being there yesterday, empty stadium, Marlins on the field, you look around, you know, you see Josh Bell, just this massive guy hitting balls over the wall. Jake Berger. You see Berger, you see Louisa Rise, you know, and you're like, yeah, I mean, yeah, they're, they're, they look, these guys are really good. And then they left the field. And then I'm watching the Phillies trickle out of their locker room. And I mean, it starts with with Bohm and Stott together. You're like, oh yeah, that's right, those two guys. And boy, they, they've been even better this year. And then, and then you see like 
here comes here comes JT Lear Muto, and you're like, oh, the catcher, I got real Muto. Maybe he's having a little down year, but one of the best catchers in the game. Oh, here's Harper. That's right. Schwarber now comes out. Castellanos is in the leadoff spot. So you're like, it's it's just not based on the names, and I, you got to really kind of couch this, but based on the names and the success they've had, the contracts they have, the expectations, it's not a fair fight. But it's baseball, and the Marlins have had this incredible, uncanny knack of winning these close games, of rallying. They won the season series. It would surprise not me if the Marlins won this, but boy, this this is just names and numbers and contracts and performance. Not close, but it's baseball, and that's that's why you absolutely have to be concerned if you're – if you're the Phillies, because Lazardo is great, Tanner Scott's ridiculous out of the bullpen. They they just have lefties. They got a lefty in game two, and that does neutralize a guy like Schwarber. Not, not Harper Harper per se as much, but watch Lazardo's fastball and his sweeper slider tonight, and see what happens. Third best average fastball velocity in the major leagues, behind Sandy Alcantara. I'm trying to remember who uh, who oh Spencer Strider. And yep. then he tied with Garrett Cole. That's what we're going to see tonight with Lazardo. If I'm the Marlins, I feel like I have the exact guy that I want on the mound for them yep. in game one because he's left-handed. He's had a history of – it's small sample size, but he's had a history of success against Harper and against Schwarber, left-handed hitters, struck him out more than half of the plate appearances he's faced each of those guys. Uh, and – He's a, a guy who grew up a Marlins fan. Like, it, it feels perfect for me if for the Marlins to have this guy on the mound. Yeah, I look, there's the, he's very well-spoken. You know, Jesus Lazardo reminds, in a lot of ways, I said this with uh, Schumacher yesterday, you know, you look at Lazardo, you see Bell. There are certain players in Major League Baseball who the analytics and everything else says and keeps telling you, like, this guy's going to be good. This guy's going to be really good. And a lot of times it takes patience until they take that next step. Uh, Bell has seemingly done that here in Miami, has always been, you know, one of those kids that we always talked about. We, we couldn't wait to see him. You know, I know Bob Melvin loved him in Oakland when he was there, and it feels like he's ready for this. He, he, he went to Stoneman Douglas High School, where, of course, that horrifying shooting took place. He was set to go there that day and started to get calls to stay away. Uh, he's been very, very giving to that community since that. He still goes there and works out with those guys. He, he is a... He's a Miami kid. I mean, he grew up in Florida. Uh, but by the same token, remember last year, Zach Wheeler and the Phillies did what Miami had to do. They had yep. to play every single game down the stretch as if it were a playoff game. Then they finally get to the playoffs. And, and as great as they were, they acknowledged we were gassed. Zach Wheeler was done. The difference this year, they're rested. They're ready. Yep. Thompson told me yesterday, like, this is a whole different feel. Now, <laughs> All right, so, well, last year worked out pretty darn well, and you guys were tired. So let's see what happens when you're refreshed. And maybe the Marlins are exhausted, but they've been playing at this high level. Maybe it continues. Yeah, Wheeler, a total of 28 innings in September. The Phillies rested their starters. I remember when we saw them in uh, Williamsport, that Rob Thompson talked about that, that they were going to try to put them in a position – you know, going down the stretch to be uh, in good shape for October. And it seems like that's the question uh, that seems to be the case. So you and I are on the same page. I think we we see the the potential danger of the Marlins, but we're both picking the Phillies in this series. 
tell me what you got in the other National League series, the Brewers and the Diamondbacks, with, of course, the Brewers getting that bad news about Brandon Woodruff. Yeah, I, you know, I think the Brewers are still equipped to win this series. Uh, I think the Diamondbacks yeah. pitching in game one is shaky uh, relative to having arrested Zach Gallen, which they don't have, and he's not pitching. So I think the Brewers can win this series it's a terrible, terrible blow to the Brewers uh, that that happened because Burns and Woodruff and Peralta make you think. And, and look, there's a, there's a few teams in this postseason this year that aren't necessarily the favorites but fall into that category of you don't want to face them. And the Brewers with their pitching were one of them. And they always are. But this year, this year felt a little bit different. You know, Tampa has so many injuries. They've always been that team. Be interesting to see what happens there. But I think the Brewers win. I think the Brewers beat Arizona. We we saw Arizona late in the season. Um, you know, they, they're they're a team that can look really great one night and can just look awful another night. And I think in the postseason, it's hard to get into that groove where you look great every night. You're gonna have to win games where you don't. And I'm, I, I think the Brewers have the ability. It's, it's close, but I think the Brewers have the ability to win that, that game more than Arizona. By the same token, Buster, I'm sure you're as excited as I am. You know, the, the beauty of this postseason, the beauty of every postseason, is the television networks are required to show the teams that are in the playoffs. Let's hope that people can get exposed to a Corbin Carroll at his best. Great for the Diamondbacks. Let's hope it happens again with Tampa. Let, let's jump on the Texas bandwagon. We're, we're showing the Rangers because they're in the wild card. You know, all of these teams now have the stage. Let's hope they perform at their best. The Milwaukee pitching after August 16th was easily the best in the big leagues by a best ERA by more than half a run. Uh, they just don't give up a lot of hits. And so it'll be interesting to see if the Diamondbacks get runners on base. You know that they're the, you know, they were second in the majors this year in stolen bases. Corbin Carroll led that. Will they try to be aggressive every time they get someone on, try to make something happen against that great pitching staff? Uh, here's a, a number that I was looking up yesterday. Devin Williams, their closer, basically allowed one hit a week during this season. 26 <laughs> hits allowed in 58 and a third innings. I mean, think about that and how good his changeup and fastball is. So I, I think the Diamondbacks will, uh, you know, have a challenge trying to win that series on the road. Rangers and Rays. Uh, you have the Rangers who, for you know, the lot of this year, led the American League West. They wind up being the sixth seed, and the Tampa Bay Rays, who had a ton of injuries, yeah. you know, they lose Wander Franco to that investigation. I got Tampa Bay winning this series. What about you? Yeah, this is another one of those where I think if I were there and they came out on workout day, I would have similar reactions that I did yesterday here in Philadelphia. The, Ra the Rays don't have the star power. Uh, Rosarain is special, but Isak Paredes may be on the map in Tampa. If there is a baseball map in Tampa, um, he might be on it, but I don't think a lot of people know how how good he was. And then if they left the field, I'd watch Semyon and Seeger. Uh, parade out. Uh, I'd watch Adolis Garcia, and I'm thinking about. Yeah, I, I I do recall these. You know, this is a this is a team whose middle of the order is is stacked. All of those guys hit Jordan Montgomery, Nathan Evaldi, the injuries to the Texas staff, and the fact that Texas lost the AL West and had to fly across the country and immediately deal with a Rays team that has had as good a record at home as any team in the postseason. 
Uh, let's see uh, their ability to get off that mat because you know you fell flat. That, that's a that's a big deal. Instead of having those days off and resting, now you had to fly from Seattle to Tampa Bay and deal with a team that doesn't lose at home. Um, I, I I'm leaning Tampa Bay. I think the home field, believe it or not, in a building like that where they, I don't know, they're going to be hard pressed to sell it out. At least historically, they have been. Uh, I still think they they enjoy an advantage in that building. And, and geez, it's not like Tampa Bay won 84 games. Tampa Bay, well, they won 99 games this year. I mean, they yeah. almost won 100 games. So, uh, yeah, I'd lean, I'd lean Tampa Bay. Um, Glasnow hasn't had great numbers in the postseason, but I'm, I'm as big a fan of Tyler Glasnow as any starting pitcher in baseball when he's right. I am a absolute huge fan of Glasnow when he's right. Yeah, particular matchup issue I think the Rays may have in this series is the fact that they've had all these injuries, and, and uh, I mentioned Wanda Franco being taken off the field. They are very right-handed, and you know Bruce Bochy when it comes to managing a bullpen. He's really good with that. You know, Potentially, uh, he could use his right-handers uh, in his string against that Tampa Bay lineup late in the game, and, and we'll see if that's a big factor. Uh, the other series in the American League, you get the Minnesota Twins playing the Toronto Blue Jays, Kevin Gossman on the mound. In game one uh, for Toronto, I, I I picked Toronto in this series. I, I just, you know, and it, it, we talked about this at dinner last night, uh, Carl, you, I, and Eduardo, about this really interesting challenge that uh, Rocco Baldelli, the manager of the Twins, has. He has stars coming back. Royce Lewis, who apparently it looks like he's not going to play. He's coming back from hamstring injury. Uh, but Carlos Correa coming back from plantar fasciitis. He hasn't played in two weeks. Uh, he says he's ready to go. It looks like he's going to be the shortstop. They've been playing great without these guys. Their offense has been yeah. better than expected. But, you know, if a Carlos Correa with all, all of his success in the postseason says he's ready to go, boy, what a quandary for Rocco. Huge quandary. Uh, but, I, you know, I think we all remember Correa. You know, I don't know if you can see it, but you point, he points to his watch. Right. Right? And this is this is it's a time. hard guy to argue. It's a hard guy to argue against. And a lot of people will tell you you can't turn it on and turn it off, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. Tom Brady seemed to turn it on in the postseason and the Super Bowls. Uh, so I do think it's something that certain athletes have the ability to do. If he says he's ready, that's one thing. You know, they, they haven't won a postseason series, what, since since 2004? They, they pitch better. I mean, it's always been the knock on the Twins. You know, when's Johan Santana walking through the door again? They just haven't been able to do that. The pitching's way better this year. So I, I'm, I'm going to go against – the Blue Jays here. I'm going to take the Twins at home. Um, they've been playing better. Uh, I think Baldelli is smart enough to realize if Correa is, you know, 80%, then it's probably better than most players, especially in the postseason. Uh, I'm going to go with the Twins in spite of all the fact that, that I just laid out that they don't win in the postseason and that they, they've struggled here and the Blue Jays lineup is ridiculous, et cetera. I'm going to go with Minnesota. I, there's just the Toronto Blue Jays underachieved to me this year. Uh, be honest with you. I, yeah. I, I thought they'd be better. Yeah. It's interesting on the morning show. They asked me which manager among the three American league East teams that are still standing is under the most pressure. And I was like, well, Brandon Hyde and Kevin Cash are in the conversation for manager of the year. And yeah. I don't really think John Schneider is under pressure, but you're right. I think, uh, you know, the Blue Jays have underperformed. Part of that is, He's Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I think yeah. they have as much pressure on him going into this postseason as anybody. You know, he's played in four postseason games with the Blue Jays. They haven't won a series yet. And small sample size in the postseason can mean a lot. Ask Ted Williams. Ask Barry Bonds. <laughs> right. Ask Alex Rodriguez. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., two for 15 with five strikeouts, no extra base hits. 
at some point, you know, people are going to expect that he needs to have one of those moments. And uh, we'll see if he has that the next couple of days. Yesterday, uh, David Stearns was introduced as the president of baseball operations for the Mets. And among the things he said, he said basically indicated he's keeping Pete Alonso, which I'm sorry, Carl, for me, makes a ton of sense that right away, <laughs> David Stearns is smart enough making eight figures a year to basically say it's not wouldn't be a good idea for me to come in and trade the most popular player on the team with my first big move. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't did, did he say like he's here forever or did he just say, Pete Alonso, I expect him to be in the starting lineup next year when we yes. start the season. So, right. you know, I, it's almost sort of a bit of a to me, I read it as a bit of a hedge. He could have come out and said, I'm going to do everything I can in the offseason to re-sign Pete Alonso to a long-term deal. He, he didn't do that. He's probably, I, I know he's smart enough not to do that, but he certainly could have gone that way and said, we will make sure Pete Alonso is a Met for life. He didn't come out and do that. He said he'll be here next year. If it turns out they get a long-term deal done, great. I, I just think about the teams out there who would love to have Pete Alonso in the middle of that lineup. Like the San Francisco Giants need yes. Pete Alonso. That's exactly what they need, a guy like that. The Seattle Mariners really need somebody like Alonso to help out Julio Rodriguez. They need Pete Alonso. I think the Mets need Pete Alonso. I think he's that valuable. And, you know, very few players. You, you just talked about Vladimir Guerrero. Like Alonso is a little bit like Schwarber in the fact that uh, it's every year you can pencil in the same statistics. You know, Vladdy had a pretty down year. He's starting to show signs again. But, boy, that consistency of Schwarber, of Judge, of Alonzo, hard to find. And I, I hope he's smart enough to do that. We'll see. But, I, I, look, David Stearns is walking into a very good situation. You know, yep. the, the, Mets, the Mets got hurt this year physically. When Diaz got hurt in the in in spring training after during the WBC, that screwed everything up. I'm sorry, but that screwed everything up. And if that was the first kind of you know when you bring your car into the shop for something and then you find yourself going back every week because something else, some other lights turning on. The Mets had lights turning on all season long, and it started with Diaz's injury. Turn the lights off. Let let's try to be healthy. I. I I felt really badly for our good friend and a guy I think is as good a manager or is in baseball and Showalter. I don't think there was anything that Buck could have done uh, or any other manager was going to make a difference given given the hand that he was dealt and how the hand just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And about Alonso, uh, Alonso, uh, it feels like every year we have the conversation about you know who's a New York guy. Sonny Gray demonstrated he was not a New York guy. They basically mm -hmm. had to get rid of him. Joey Gallo demonstrated he's not a New York guy. Pete Alonso is a New York guy. I know he grew yeah. up in Florida, but he's comfortable. He loves it there. I don't think he'd take that for granted. And here's the other thing, too, the practical reality of it for the Mets. And I, I get the whole, you know, I've had this conversation, the podcast with uh, Paul Hembikides about Alonso's value is a power hitting first baseman who's not necessarily great defensively. The bottom line is when you look at the Mets lineup compared to that of the Braves and the Phillies, who are the standards in the National League East, they have such a power deficit. And so to me, not a good idea. first thing right out of the gate, you know, potentially to trade Pete Alonso. Uh, that would be a really bad idea. We all are wondering at some point, uh, you know, after the Brewers season is over, what's going to happen with Craig Council? Uh, we're going to talk all winter about Shohei Otani. We're going to talk about Cody Bellinger. 
Craig Council is one of the most coveted free agents coming up with his contract expiring for the Brewers. What do you think? You know, counsel to the to the Mets because I, I he's an interesting guy. He's so damn smart. He's such a great manager. He's someone that we've all known for years and years and years since he scored the winning run in the World Series back in '97. And yet, I don't think anybody really truly knows what he wants. To the Mets take the big money, go to the big market, and and run that team. Yeah, uh, look. One thing about Craig Council that I think maybe doesn't necessarily get reflected, and I think managers for the most part, and 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 I'm thinking like Aaron Boone, Alex Cora, there's a few that kind of toe the line of showing their competitive fire more than others. But Craig, his desire and being around Schumacher, like <laughs> like these these people want to win. I'm going off on a little tangent here, but this will get back to council. But in talking to to Kim Ng yesterday, Buster, about analytics and the role they play. There was an interesting comment, I think, from Dana Brown the other day about a lineup that Dusty Baker was putting out there, and Dana was asked about what he expects to see in a particular day. Uh, it may not be exact, but I believe he sort of referred to the fact that I, I hope the lineup has the best players in it. I'm guessing, not saying this is what Dana was getting at, but the point that I took from that was, my particular lineup may not be exactly what the manager's is, which gets me back to Kim Ng. When I asked her what the balance was between sort of your vision or the analytics department's vision, Kip Schumacher is trying to win as badly as I am or the analytics department. It's not as if the manager or managers in this case are trying to do anything that would that would contradict what the front office wants to do with the lineup. The manager believes these guys are the best guys we can put out there today to win the game. In Craig Council's case, he clearly wants to win every single game. He is competitive. I don't think the market scares him. There's a part of me that if I were Craig Council and I had this option, I certainly would sit there with my family and say, what do you think? Because I trusted myself to do this job. I know I can go to New York and manage the Mets and do the same excellent job I did here in Milwaukee. I don't think it's a market size. I don't, it may very well be a comfort level with where he lives, where his kids are in school, etc. Midwest guy, right? But Midwest but guy. I don't. Th there's nothing about big city New York Mets expectations, in my opinion, that's going to bother Craig Council. I I don't. That's not going to be for me the reason he says uh, I'd like to stay here. I want to take a few years off, whatever it may be. I, I don't look, look, he's so comfortable in his own skin, always has been. I don't think that New York would spit Craig Council out um, the way it did those people you mentioned. Kenny Lofton was one of the one of the best outfielders I've ever seen. It didn't work in New York. Back to Alonzo, it works in New York for sure. To me, when you prove you can win there, you should try to keep those players because I do think that the analytics won't show. There are certain guys that can perform in certain cities and others who just don't want to. So the answer to your question is, I don't think Craig Council has, has any reason not to go to New York uh, based on his, his abilities, based on his uh, desire to compete, based on his ability to win in that market. None of that. None of that. I can't wait to see where he picks. That uh, that team, it, it's going to be a huge step forward. And maybe he decides he's going to stay in Milwaukee. 
you know, we'll see. All right, Carl, thanks for doing this. Uh, we'll see you uh, at what? We're leaving at like 2.45 today, 3 o'clock. 3 o'clock, let's go. No nice. flies in the car. No flies in the car, Buster. <laughs> Our broadcast at 8 o'clock tonight. See you, Carl. See you. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The NFL schedule drops this week. And you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. That's VividSeats.com. Dot com today, code baseball. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Jumping into the numbers. numbers. This is Hembo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Hembo, of course, is Paul Ambikidi. He's a researcher at ESPN. He's the right-hand man uh, for Mike Greenberg. And Hembo, today, uh, early this morning, he sent me a note about, you know, Taylor's absence today. He had a doctor's appointment. And you have a conspiracy theory, given his fandom of the Baltimore Orioles. Please state it. Yes. Um, I, I want to make it very clear. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a well-known skeptic, a well-known conspiracy theorist. And the notion that we should just take at face value that Taylor has this catastrophic injury, I think is a stretch. I, he, something might have happened. I don't know. Who's to say? But what I do know is that his favorite baseball team, the Baltimore Orioles, enjoy just immense success this season. Somewhat surprising. He got wrapped up in it. Buster, my theory is this. All right. Taylor has manufactured this injury so that he can put himself on some kind of short-term leave or disability conveniently at the beginning of, of October, the first year the Orioles enjoy their resurgence. So he can fully experience the Orioles return to prominence, perhaps go to a couple games in Baltimore and do the fandom thing. So that's my theory. The idea that he just coincidentally suffered this injury at the beginning of the playoffs to me seems a little bit far-fetched. All right. I know somebody who might disagree with you. That would be Taylor Schwenk, who's going to join us right now. Hembo, Taylor, you, see this say you? you see this foot, Hembo? <laughs> <laughs> I am playing hey, games what, over here. I'll tell oh, you what. Not... The, yeah. I, the, I have, I have, uh, I have uh, 
those things, those casts, those those uh, those boots laying around everywhere in my house. All right, I, I haven't seen <laughs> tripping I haven't over seen my bed. Any any toes sticking one way or the other? I haven't seen any of your metacarpals uh, pointed in the wrong direction. Just because you're wearing a walking boot is not proof positive of any injury. I refuse to take your injury at face value. I think wow. he's projecting, uh, Taylor, because I know, you know, he was out on paternity leave during the summertime as the Phillies were playing out what could turn out to be a magical season. Do you think that was a coincidence, Taylor? Mm, not really. <laughs> Real tinfoil Tuesday we're having here. Put your hats on, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Hembo. Uh, let's go through each of the four wildcard series and give me your favorite stat as you pick each one. First off, let's start with your Phillies playing the Marlins. That's the 8 o'clock game on ESPN. Yeah, I favor the Phillies in this series, Buster, uh, and here's why. So the Marlins have played 64 games against the playoff field. In other words, the, uh, the other 11 teams that made the playoffs. In those games, they went 26-38 and 38 with a minus 86 run differential, Buster. Uh, that was sandwiched between the Pirates and the Tigers. In other words, this team just does not have a playoff pedigree. Now, in a playoff series, I think no matter how good you are, or no matter how bad you are, you're talking about a 60-40 thing, 65-35 maybe. So anything here is possible, obviously. It's a best of three series. It's baseball. But the Marlins are not nearly as good a baseball team as the Phillies. And when they play good baseball teams this year, they've more often than not fallen short. All right. Would you agree with me that if you're the Marlins, you love the fact that Jesus Lazardo is on the mound in game one. A left-hander throws really hard against the Phillies lineup, and he's had success against Harper, against Schwarber in small sample size. 100%. Um, I'm afraid of this matchup, candidly. As a fan of the Phillies, um, a lefty, a hard-throwing lefty, a lefty that misses a lot of bats is not someone that I want to see. And frankly, a pitcher this young that doesn't, that doesn't really know like the kind of atmosphere he's getting himself into, that doesn't know exactly like that feeling, I think is actually likelier to pitch loose and free and easy. Like He doesn't have to sit through uh, you know past failures and experiences in the playoffs to the same degree that others have. I think he's going to go out there and just pitch pretty well. Now, he's going to have to pitch great. But he's got some advantages in this game based upon the, the platoon stuff, obviously. I think he's the perfect game one starter for the Marlins. I think the Phillies will probably get to him, but I think the Phillies are likelier to get to that bullpen in all honesty. Yeah, I love the idea that uh, the, how quickly pressure shifts in a best of three, right? Oh. If uh, the Marlins put a three spot up earlier or something, it'd be, I, I'd be interested to hear the crowd in, here in Philadelphia. All right, the mm -hmm. other National League series, Diamondbacks and Brewers. What you got? I, I, favor, the, I favor the Brewers in this series. Um, here's why. Uh, They've got the best pitching staff in baseball. Even without Brandon Woodruff, I think their pitching will be good enough to get through the Diamondbacks in this series. Since the trade deadline, this is a staff that has allowed 22 fewer runs than any team in baseball. Since the All-Star break, they've allowed 31 fewer runs than any team in baseball. Look, I mean, Wade Miley in, a, in, a, in an if-necessary Game 3, he's got a 3 one 4 ERA this year. I think that staff is really deep. Corbin Burns has pitched great the last couple months of the season with sort of a new repertoire. I do trust Freddie Peralta. I trust that bullpen. I trust that manager, as we've discussed before. The Diamondbacks, kind of similar to the Marlins in terms of their profile playing great teams. They've not played great towards the end. They've had a very uneven up-and-down season. This feels to me like a moment will be too big for the, for the Diamondbacks against an outstanding pitching staff. And a club that, parenthetically, Buster, has averaged more than five runs a game since the trade deadline. Those small additions that they made uh, – at the very end of July, I think I've gone a long way in making this offense at least passable in a playoff setting. All right. I steal stats from you all the time. Here's a stat you can steal from me when you talk to Greeny today. Devin Williams, the closer of the Brewers, has basically allowed one hit a week during the summer. 26 <laughs> hits allowed. 26 <laughs> hits allowed in 58 and a third innings. Think about that and how great that is. Rays and Rangers. Yeah, I, I favor the Rangers in this series. Um, 
Here's why. This, okay. is pr- practically, this is practically a coin flip. So, so here's what I use to break the tie. I think this is – Texas has the best lineup in the American League. So they played 81 games this season with a healthy Corey Seager and Josh Young. Obviously, both of those guys missed considerable time. But they're whole again. Buster, in those, 80 win, uh, in those 81 games, the Rangers went 50 and 31. The Rangers averaged more than five and a half runs a game. I don't think this race pitching staff is as stingy as it has been as years past. Tyler Glasnow has a long and storied history of bad postseason outings. I don't think the Rays are going to be able to outpitch the Rangers in the series by keep by keeping the Rangers bats at bay. And so if we wind up, you know, having a shootout, for lack of a better term, instead of a rock fight, I think the, this is the Rangers series to lose. It's the lineup I trust the most. If you ask me of all the units, if you will, in this series, you know, pitching staffs on both sides, lineups on both sides, the Rangers lineup is the single best one. That, to me, breaks a tie in what is otherwise a coin flip series. So I think Glasnow, he reminds me a lot of Roger Clemens in the postseason, a player who I covered. Hey, and Tyler, he so desperately wants to do well that in his first appearances in the postseason, I think he's fighting his own adrenaline a lot. Mm. And over time with Roger, he got better at it. And I would not be surprised to see if that's what happened with, with Glasnow. But I also think I, I mentioned uh, before with Carl, the vulnerability with the Rays with so many of their left-handed hitters, switch hitters, who are not available in this series. We'll uh, see where that goes. Then we have the Blue Jays. We have the Twins. What do you got? I, I favor the Blue Jays in this series. Um, here's why. So so Minnesota's lineup basically just lives and dies by the long ball. 48% of their scoring this year came by the home run, the highest rate in the American League playoff field. They ranked dead last in a stat that we uh, invented over the last month in what we're calling manufactured runs. All runs that you score not by way of the home run. Here's why I think, Buster, that is so incredibly critical in this series. Because Toronto's pitching staff just doesn't give it up. Uh, since the All-Star break, they've allowed the second lowest home run rate of all the teams that made the playoffs. Only the Orioles, playing in a very pitcher-friendly ballpark, have been stingier. I just basically trust Toronto's pitching here. They had four guys that started 30 games this season. That's really rare. I think it will provide a very easy, straightforward blueprint for their manager in a best of three series. I think over the course of time, there's some there's some real holes in Toronto's lineup that I wasn't expecting to manifest. But in a best of three series in Minnesota, and what I think is more likely to be a rock fight than a shootout, I favor Toronto because of the pitching. So Carl Ravitch, who was on here before, before the season started, he picked the, the Phillies to win the World Series, but he switched to Atlanta before the series or before the season. You were very bullish on the Braves. And now I sense that you're moving away from the Braves. How come? Uh, I'm moving away from the ba- Braves because of the of the profile, for lack of a better term. So last week, I came on this podcast and I said, I don't trust this team, the team that Vegas has tabbed as the favorite to win the World Series, because I don't trust their pitching enough. And then afterwards, I thought to myself, you're a data-driven person, right? You want to be specific with your research. I, I can do a little bit better and make sure that I see the other side of the things, that, that I look at, that I research the, the, the flip side of the coin, because this lineup is unbelievable. So here's what I've done, Buster. I did a little research study that I think you will enjoy and appreciate. I looked at every team since 1995. That was the start of the wild card era to provide a sample of, all right, you have to string together three postseason wins to have success. So since 1995. And I looked at every team since 1995 to out-homer their opponent by 90 or better. The Braves this year were plus 120. That's a record. So I wanted to look at teams that had this kind of profile, that out-homer their opponent by 90 or more, and those teams that made the playoffs. So these these aren't teams that couldn't pitch at all. And the reason I didn't just use home runs is because this is both home runs and home run allowance. Teams for which that was their greatest virtue buster. There are seven teams that were plus 90 or better in that um, period of time. The 2019 Twins, the 1998 Braves, the 2022 Yankees, and 2022 Braves. 
the 2019 Dodgers, the 2018 Yankees, and the 2021 Giants. Buster, those seven teams, how many playoff series do you think those seven teams combined to win? I don't know. They combined to win three. They wow. combined to win three. So, look, this we, 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 could tra- we could attribute this to small samples. We could attribute this to some noise. We could attribute this to any number of things. This is just one stat, one way to measure this kind of team. But what this number tells me over the course of, I guess now almost 30 years, is that this thing that the Braves are great at, great at, homering and suppressing the opponent, right, doesn't matter as much in the playoffs as it does in the regular season. The fact that none of those teams even – uh, advanced to the World Series, it's pretty astonishing because these are all teams with, with with track records, with pedigrees, and they, that we're not just offense first teams. Many of these teams pitched really well too. So my, my brave skepticism, I think, is well documented. And now I think I, I don't really trust the starting pitching like I said last week. And this formula that has worked so well over the course of 162, I just don't see working that well in the month of October. Yeah, I think it's a little bit more. Uh, they're a little different than some of the teams you mentioned because, as you know, between uh, you know Ronald Acuna Jr., Michael Harris, you got some speed. You know, guys who run the bases well. Uh, but uh, yesterday, when I was working on a story, I was noticing, like in the last six weeks, and I know not all the pitchers are are, are going to be working in this series. Last six weeks, the Braves are in the bottom ten in ERA in baseball. You know, they're among teams like the Rockies. Okay. That's that's not a good place to be as you start the the postseason. And we wonder about, you know, Max Fried and Charlie Morton and how they're going to be physically. We'll we'll see. Before you go, uh, we got word yesterday from David Stearns. He didn't say for sure that he's keeping Pete Alonso, but he certainly signaled that. Uh, you know, I mentioned to Carl that I think, especially with the the home run deficit that the the Braves have, uh, you know, vis a vis the Phillies and the uh, and the Braves. Excuse me, the Mets have vis a vis the Phillies and the Braves. I, I think that you, it's almost a way to go there. What do you think? Yeah, so I think what he said exactly was we expect Pete to be our opening day first baseman, if memory right. serves. And um, th- I have two theories on this. There, there are one of two things that could be the case. Uh, number one, and this is, I think is the likeliest theory is that he's lying through his teeth and he's saying really? the thing that you're supposed <laughs> yes because I think he's saying the thing that you're supposed to say to ensure that you have maximum leverage. Buster, not to mention the fact that the first thing that you want to say publicly uh, in this role is not I'm going to trade the most beloved player on, like the, the you know that the fan base sees. Like that's not that's not the thing that you say. And even if it's the truth, you mean like Heim Bloom and Mookie Betts? <laughs> right, right. Right. Look what happened to Heim Bloom, right? That that's that that's not the thing you say, even if it's the thing that you do, right? That's theory one, is that he's just saying the thing to maximize leverage. Theory two is that Steve Cohen's basically told him already, this is baked into the cake. I'm hiring you, but I want to keep Pete Alonso. And you know, as well as I do, that a decision this large, talking about, I don't know, 200 plus million dollars for what has become a legacy player is going to rise to ownership level. So maybe he's saying that with confidence because he knows that Steve Cohen wants Pete Alonso to be his first baseman on his fantasy baseball team. And that might well be the case. What I know is that using David Stern's track record in Milwaukee, granted a small market team, he does not value the first base position at all and doesn't no. give contract, does not give large contracts to players like Pete Alonso. Right. So I'm not suggesting that they, he could not be an exception, but this would definitely be a philosophical shift. And if they do wind up keeping Pete Alonso and potentially signing him to a long-term contract, my two cents from afar is that that would be an ownership decision, not a, de- a decision based upon David Stern's years and years of baseball expertise. All right, Hembo, thank you. Before you go, Taylor, do you forgive Hembo for his accusation? 
You know, honestly, he's not too far off. Uh, we've got friends coming into town, and I can't even entertain them on Saturday. I guess I have to sit around and watch the Orioles. Oh, oh. no. <laughs> Called it. Well, you know, I could make a mother-in-law joke, but I don't know anything about your situation. So, <laughs> <laughs> Who among us? Later, friends. Get out of here, Hembo. That's Sick exactly of Hembo. Right. Bleacher Tweets. All right, Buster, it is time for Bleacher Tweets. Our first one comes from Gregory Gosnell. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong. With the with his first season in the books, do you consider Carlos Rendon's contract in the same light as a Patrick Corbin or an Anthony Rendon? Yeah, Carlos Rodon, uh, his his ERA this year was 6.85, and he finished up the season by basically shooing his pitching coach off the mound. Uh, the, the Yankees indicated that if the season had been going on longer, it might have been a situation where they would have given discipline to Rodon. Uh, it, it, there, no doubt, there's major concern, not only because of how he pitched, but, but because he ha- how he handled situations like this. He needs to step it up. And like I, I think that early in the offseason, there needs to be a conversation between Boone, if uh, in fact he is staying as manager, and that's the way it looks like right now, and Matt Blake, the pitching coach. And, and Rodon just has to be more accountable, or he's not going to fit the marketplace. Next up, we have a tweet from Mike Mosk. Kyle Schwarber, number two in Homer, number two in Walks, number nine in RBI, number 118 in War. That's what happens when you bat 0.197. Most interesting season ever. Batting average does matter to me. Wonder what the baseball nerds think. So I think he's he's an effective player. I do think because of the Bryce Harper injury, uh, you know, coming back from the elbow situation, they had to play Schwarber in the outfield a lot this year, a lot more than they intended. He clearly is someone who's not a good outfielder. That's why he got to the 0.7 war. It's because of his defensive deficiencies as an offensive player. I'm not looking at batting average. I'm looking at on base percentage. He takes a ton of walks. He's on base a lot. He scores a ton of runs. He hits home runs. He'll be leading off tonight. We'll see if he goes deep to start the game. And our last tweet comes from the starting block. With Buck being let go by the Mets, there are now three manager vacancies. Which team would be the most attractive to a prospective manager? Giants, Mets, or Guardians? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I I, I uh, jumped you on that one. Uh, look, I don't think there's any doubt the Mets because of the resources they have. The Giants seem to be a, a transition and a long way away from having a group of players. But if you're coming in as the manager of the Mets, you got some nice pieces in your pitching staff. You have your nice pieces in the everyday lineup: uh, Lindor and Pete Alonso, who apparently is going to stay. Brandon Nimmo. Um, and you know that Steve Cohen, their owner, is going to spend. Now, you have to be okay with scrutiny because <laughs> there's going to be a whole lot of that moving forward. All right. That is it for Bleacher Tweets. So everyone be sure to submit your questions using hashtag Bleacher Tweets. All right. Before we go, I want to talk about my friend Jim Capel, uh, who I worked with at ESPN for a lot of years. We got word uh, from his wife on Sunday night that he passed away at the age of 61. Uh, I didn't know Jim as well as uh, my former colleagues, Jerry Krasnick and, and Jason Stark. Those two guys sent out some real poignant thoughts about Jim and, and what made him so great, uh, not only as a writer, but as a person. I'd say this, I mean, Jim was so down to earth, such a great guy, 
you know, one of the stories that I'll remember that he worked on, which was so much fun, was the competition that Cal Ripken had with teammates about how many steps he could uh, cover these long stairs going up in the old Metrodome, uh, you know, and there was a competition there. And it was sort of the quirky off the beaten path story that Jim was so good at. Uh, I, I mean, such a good person, a great soul. It's been just such a tough few days in baseball uh, with Chris Snow passing away with the news about uh, about Tim Wakefield last week, Brooks Robinson, and we lose another great person in Jim Capel. And uh, our condolences obviously go out to his family. That's it for today. My thanks to Ravi, Sarah Hembo, Bruce, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.